Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Be Shave Daily, the same as the last. Yeah, not a lot new to talk about as the Cardinals the last couple of days. Welcome in. It's Wednesday, August 4th. The Cardinals had their two new lefties going on the mound for them, Tuesday and Wednesday. And though J.A. Happ pitched better on Wednesday than John Lester did On Tuesday, the result for the Cardinals was still the same. Another loss to the Atlanta Braves. This one drops the Cardinals down to 53-54, and back below 500, below the Braves in the standings. We came into this series talking about how the Braves were among those teams in the August schedule for the Cardinals who were below 500. Well, that's no longer the case after the Braves take the first two against St. Louis. It was a 7-4 loss on Wednesday night for the Cardinals. And here's what's the kicker, what's got to be so frustrating for not only Cardinals fans, but I would imagine the team itself. The fact that the Cardinals are losing no matter what happens in the early innings of these games. You go behind early, you fall flat like they did yesterday, you don't really make much of a comeback, you lose 6-1. Today, though, you jump out to a lead, Arenado, three-run shot in the first inning. Get things going in the right direction. What do you do? You can't hold the lead. Not because of J.A. Happ, five innings, two runs. He pretty much did his job. He did what the Cardinals brought him in to do, to cover some innings, to give him a chance to win. It's exactly what we've been talking about ever since the acquisition was made. It's all you can ask for when you don't give up big pieces in order to acquire help at the deadline, you're kind of at the mercy of that next tier of talent, and Jay Happ falls within that, John Lester falls within that, the Cardinals went out, and those were their decisions. They said, this is what we can afford to do at the deadline that doesn't compromise the future, that gives us maybe a chance at stabilization for the present. Let's shoot our shot. Let's let's slap the flex seal on the side of the sinking boat as it were, you've seen the commercials where they've got water gushing out of the side of the big plastic container, and they say, no, it's fine, we have, we've got flex seal tape that we can put on there. That's basically what the Cardinals were doing here, and they were just kind of hoping it would work out. Well, how did it fare over the first two games? John Lester, six runs, five innings, so yeah, he got his innings, didn't really give you a chance to win. And so, in that case, really no much better or worse than what John Gant may have done, than what Oviedo may have done, Woodford may have done. Like, you give up six runs in the first two innings, as we talked about last night, you're not going to win many games, especially not with the way the Cardinals have gone offensively of late, where it just seems like you've got to entice them to have interest in competing offensively in the game. And that might not be a comment that would sit well with Mike Schilt, but I I don't know how many different nights we can ask about the lack of offense 
and continue to hear, well, we just didn't get anything done, we couldn't scratch anything across, without, you know, in fairness, being able to say, okay, well, maybe there's something, a little something to that, because there are a lot of teams across baseball that, you know, turn on baseball tonight or whatever shows still, they, they show, look at Twitter, I guess, would be the way that a lot of people get their highlights. I don't, I don't watch the cable shows either, but look around the league at some of the highlights and you'll see teams are scoring runs. It's not, it's not just, it's not like it's not allowed anymore. I can look over the top of the MLB game day app and see a six to five final. I can see a nine to five final, 10 to three, eight to six, nine to one. You know, the Cardinals are are capable of putting up good run totals. We just haven't seen it very often. And tonight, they score four, and so, you know, that's not terrible. It's passable. Probably not enough, though, considering, you know, where you expected to be with your rotation, understanding that you kind of dipped into the bottom of the barrel for the guys you brought in to, to stabilize things. I'm not trying to denigrate Jay Happ. I think he pitched pretty well tonight, actually. And if you listened to last night's Be Shafe Daily on Tuesday, you would have heard me talking about the fact that I was going to start him in fantasy baseball. And I did. And he produced a positive outcome for me. Believe it or not, five uh, innings of of two-run baseball with a few strikeouts mixed in there was good enough for nine fantasy points. Not so bad. Lucas Giolito was like negative six. So the fact that I picked up Hap actually covered for one of my other starters who laid an egg. So I can't complain about that. And the Cardinals shouldn't be able to complain about it either, and they're not going to. Hap, 85 pitches, 55 strikes. Could he have gone out for the sixth inning? That was kind of a topic I noticed people talking about on Twitter, and one of my replies you know, said that that should be something that was asked of Mike Schilt. Didn't see it, didn't ask it. You know, my question was more along the lines of, and I think that I think this is totally relevant and kind of hits the nail on the head for where the Cardinals are at, and I mentioned it off the top of the show. The fact that this team can have one game on Tuesday where they're down and out early and their performance at the plate shows it the rest of the way. And so you say that's why they didn't win. They didn't muster anything. They couldn't get anything done against Max Freed. You know, okay, it's a good pitcher, whatever. To me, it's they're down by six and they're like, all right, screw it. You know, you kind of go through the motions. You know, you'd like to think that doesn't happen, but it's human nature. And I think kind of last night it did. All right, what about tonight, though? Nolan. The, the one-man wrecking crew comes out and hits the three-run homer and tries to bring everybody else along with him and say, hey, guys, wouldn't it be fun if we could score some runs and win this game? Three-run shot. Cardinals don't score any more runs until they get one in the seventh on a double-steal sacrifice fly. So they're playing some small ball. That's good. But the big, big, long string of zeros in the middle of that game Cardinals don't score. They score in two innings. Uh, you know, that run in the seventh was was important to manufacture because at the time it put them back into a tied score with the Braves. Hap left this game a potential winner. After five innings, Cardinals were leading 3-2, to two, and it went downhill from there. The sixth inning, Ryan Helsley didn't have it. Gives up a two-run shot. Cardinals are trailing. So they come back in the seventh. Cardinals are able to, to get one back and tie the game up. And then Gio Gallegos doesn't have it. And it's not very often that you're going to see that happen, but that was a story for the Cardinals tonight. You know, he gives up three runs, he walks a guy, three hits. It's not like he was giving up a ton of 
crazy damaging contact, but it all adds up and you get into a bases loaded jam and fly ball to right field. Dylan Carlson hard charging. Uh, he doesn't quite make the play and it's a it's a tough play. Like I'm I'm not comfortable with the idea that we're gonna talk down on Carlson for the effort on the play and not being able to make the catch. I saw one comment on Twitter that was like Carlson's had this happen like three different times this year where he's coming in on a ball, a sliding catch, and it pops out of his glove. Maybe, I guess, but I don't even know if I got a good enough look to know that it was ever securely in his glove. Like, off the bat on on that play, just as somebody who was watching from inside the stadium... And had a good angle on the on the the ball as it was in the air. I didn't think Carlson was going to get to the ball and make that catch. I just I thought it was going to drop in front of him, it, and and he made a, a good effort to get to it, but you know doesn't quite haul it in. I don't think that makes him you know a bad defender. It was a it was a tough play, not a not a routine play by any means, and he doesn't get it done. And then what happened with him and Bader? That's just bizarre. That's just kind of the kind of the stuff we were seeing early in the season where it's communication, like the ball's already on the ground, two guys going for it, and they collide and both miss it. That's little league stuff, and it shouldn't happen. But, you know, you're, you're, you've got two guys trying to be aggressive to make a play, so I I guess I, I'm not going to ride that too hard. But at that point, it didn't matter because the Cardinals weren't going to score again, right? Like, that's the feeling that you have watching this team this year, and I don't know why that is. It's got to be a frustrating factor for Arenado, who – came into this team thinking he was leaving that bad situation in Colorado, coming to a team that was ready to win. And on a night like tonight, he was the only one offensively really to do anything. Two for four, three RBIs, all coming on that one homer and scored the run. O'Neill gets a base hit and a walk, so that's good that he's able to continue some of the momentum that he had from Tuesday. I like to kind of roll down the batting order and let you guys know what I'm thinking of where certain players are at. But everybody else was just singular hits. Matt Carpenter had a pinch hit. Arnado also had a double in addition to the homer for his other hit. So he's got your only extra base hits. It was pretty much just him. Goldschmidt comes through with the sack fly, as I mentioned, in the seventh inning. Good job to in, in, a, in a spot for situational hitting. Make sure you execute. It's important, and it's good to see from Goldie, who has kind of dipped back down now with the OPS at 775 after tonight. But he had the RBI. He was one for three with the base hit, and he also scored a run on Nolan's dinger. So at least he's kind of contributing that way. But, man, by and large, it's just there are too many holes in this offense, in this lineup from from game to game to expect that the Cardinals are going to do do much and and mount much of a charge and have that versatility. And they're, they're just not very dynamic as an offense. I think that's the way I would describe it best. There is no dynamism to this offense. They are not dynamic. They go in fits and spurts, and when they when it does go well, sometimes it's still not enough because that might be a night where the bullpen doesn't get it done. Like they're out of sync. They got the start they wanted, but that's the only you know that's all the front office did, right? That's all they addressed was the pitching rotation, and they didn't really do it in a massively meaningful way. I got to tell you, this bench is one of the worst Cardinals benches right now that I can remember. And again, I don't like to make bold statements about what a team is or isn't or what a rotation is or isn't or even what a bench is or isn't. So I'm going to use the caveat to say right now that's the way they're performing. But, I mean, you look at the names here. Matt Carpenter, you know, he's he's not what he once was. 
He does come through tonight, but that's only to raise his average to 191. OPS to 631. Elsewhere, you have Rondon coming in. He he is a uh, pinch hit situation. You have Sosa pinch hit tonight. Newt bars off the bench. They just don't have. I mean, that's not that's not a bench that you can really consider dynamic. You're not going to be excited about the advantages you can exploit. Like you'll have your guy that you go to depending on a lefty or a righty, and you're going to play the platoon splits, and you'll you'll have your answers for who's going to be first off the bench in a given situation. No offense, but none of those guys are exciting anybody right now. And and there's there's not an OPS above 600 in the 600s. Like nobody in 700 range in the group, not in the entire group. That just doesn't inspire much excitement. And you got to wonder why they didn't do anything about that at the deadline. I mean, if if they cared enough to say, well, we're going to try to get some veterans in the rotation to try to right the ship just a little bit ease the, the the concerns and the workload on some of our younger arms that we think would be better served in Memphis, that's great. That's why I'm not going to denigrate the additions of Happ and Lester. Even if they don't pan out, it's nothing ventured. I mean, seriously, I don't, I don't think John Gant was a loss. He was gone anyway next year. Couldn't rely on him, couldn't throw strikes. Nice enough guy. He couldn't do the job that the Cardinals really needed him to do. And so they weren't going to pay him $3 million next year to try to, to do whatever role he was going to fill. He was going to be a non-tender. Lane Thomas, he might go crazy with the Nationals. And that wouldn't shock me because, well, first of all, we've seen it before from Cardinals cast-offs. But second of all, I mean, he was the, the, the epitome of needing a fresh start, change of scenery kind of guy. It just, I don't know why. I don't know what the hell we saw from Lane Thomas over the last two years talking 2020 and 2021, didn't make sense to to the player that I thought he was. I know we talked about it being COVID-related in 2020. I don't know what the excuse was this year, but he looked bad at baseball. And I don't think he's bad at baseball. I think he could be a, a decent guy, definitely a momentum player. And so when he didn't get off to a very good start, didn't find any momentum, I think he's a guy that can, you could see the confidence kind of fade from him quickly, and that's the way it went. And it, 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 he's a guy where it does bleed over into his defense if he's not doing well at the plate. So he just was was on one, and it just didn't go well in St. Louis this year. And so it wasn't ever going to. Like, he was going to have to go somewhere else. I hope the best for his career. I, I saw he's been rocking it in Rochester, had a couple of hits in his first game, and then to, I think even today I saw he homered for the Nationals uh, minor league affiliate. So... I hope the best for Lane Thomas, but like legitimately, if we're just going to be honest about it, he wasn't a loss. You know, you've got all these outfielders in your system. You can go ahead and be mad about it next year if Lane Thomas is the next Adelis Garcia or Rosa Reina or whoever the heck. It doesn't matter. I, the card. I mean, you weren't clamoring for him to play here, so like, just keep that in mind. If he does do well, just say, all right, maybe that was for the best that he went somewhere else because it wasn't going to happen here. That's just the, that's, you know, you remember spring training, I was on the lane train. Like I talked about it on B-Shape Daily. I thought he could be somebody that as a fourth outfielder plus, like he would be a little bit more than a fourth outfielder the way he would be able to contribute this year and could kind of work his way into a more regular role. Didn't happen. And there was every opportunity to do so. It's not like he just got boxed out 
early in the season. You had like half the starting outfield most of the time was injured, sometimes two-thirds. And so you had Lane Thomas with every opportunity to play and to do something with that chance, and he didn't. And so that's why he's gone. But I don't, you know, that's the decision the Cardinals made to give up guys they, they weren't that concerned about losing. He was probably DFA'd after the season as well, the way it was trending. And so you had a 40-man crunch anyway, which I want to I want to rant too. I, I'm kind of, it's like a night of rants right now. I haven't even gotten to the questions I solicited on Twitter from you guys, and there were a couple good ones in that bunch. So I do want to get to those on tonight's episode. But I want to rant about the idea that the Cardinals have a 40-man roster crunch. Give me a break. There is not a 40-man roster crunch on the St. Louis Cardinals. They might have 40 people on the roster, but I, 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 there are not all these guys. It's like, oh man, what do you, you can't, you can't risk losing this guy to waivers. Again, no offense, but I mean, they picked up half these guys during this season. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily long for this roster. Like they're fixing problems on the fly in the middle of a season. And if you don't consider the problem solved with the moves they've made as of yet, then I would have to say you're not super thrilled with all of the additions that you've made, which when you're when you're digging through the scrap heap, that's kind of the way that you would expect it to go. They're not all going to be diamonds in the rough. They found a couple of guys that could stick around here. But, I mean, with the turnover you've seen in the bullpen and with, with you know, the bench being what it is, like Matt Carpenter, for instance. They're not going to cut Matt Carpenter, but... After the season, he's not going to be on your bench anymore. He's not going to be on your 40 roster anymore. He's he's going to be the free agent. That's it. So, like, there's a spot. that, Like, I, it's ludicrous to me that anybody would say, I, this this roster crunch is bad. No, it's not. In September, October, when, November, whenever it happens, I'll find you 10 names. I'm not going to do it tonight because these are guys that are still competing and they are on the Cardinals and some of them at the major league level, some at the minor league level. They're trying to, you know, make a name for themselves and compete the best they can. I'm not, I'm not trying to squash that or denigrate that in any way, but I'm being realistic to say that in a couple of months, Cardinals have a, an opportunity to overhaul things. But it seems like a lot of times we talk about that, and then a few months later we're having the same conversation about, yeah, they've got this roster crunch again, roster churn. Who cares? Like it just is what it is. It'll solve itself. Right now, in season, the Cardinals... I mean, listen, the Cardinals will happily retain any guys from 2021 that prove they deserve to be on the 2022 40-man roster that are kind of on that bubble. Anybody that plays their way into that consideration, Cardinals will be thrilled for that. That's the kind of problem you want to have. To say, oh, wow, we've got too many guys on the roster that we just we just feel like we can't figure out how we're going to you know be able to add these guys back. Like, like talking about Michaelis and Flaherty, they're both on the 60-day IL, so you're going to have to make some of those moves before the end of the season. Again, I'm not trying to be not trying to be insensitive. I just don't think it's that big of a deal. I think you can figure it out. It could be guys at the minor league level, guys that you may not even lose to waivers if you if you expose them. So that's my little rant. I think it's going to be you're you're much more happy about the idea that you're getting. Michaelis and Flaherty back than you are worried about who's leaving the roster to potentially accommodate them. And there was a question within here. I did ask it on Twitter at bshafer12 if anybody had questions tonight for this episode of Shafe Daily. And there was one that I saw 
that I'm trying to on the fly find now, which doesn't make it any easier. But it was relevant asking about Michaelis and Flaherty, kind of what happens to the other pitchers that they just brought in. What happens to those guys when you get Michaelis and Flaherty back? I think it's a great question. Here it was from Alex. Will the Cards use a quasi-six-man rotation with Happen Lester piggybacking? Then Flaherty Michaelis, if needs to, if if need be. Who from the current bullpen goes down? Justin Miller, where does LeBlanc go? So, right, there's a lot of questions that fit into this one central question, which is if you get two starters back and you just added two starters and you don't think either of these veteran starters are necessarily guys that you're going to shove into the bullpen, like how do you do all that? Does it just mean you lose them both? Does somebody else get hurt and you're able to kind of delay that decision? In the grand scheme, it doesn't matter a lot. Like, unless, you know, Hap throws another good start, and then suddenly it's like, do you take him out of the rotation? How do you handle that? LeBlanc is interesting how he fits into this, because to me, because he was already a guy who was on the relief core, like he came to the Cardinals and began in their bullpen, it feels all that much easier to slide him back to the bullpen than it would either Lester or Hap even if his performance has been better. Like, the way LeBlanc has started in pretty much every outing but one, you wouldn't have changed anything that he did. You're like, yeah, this is exactly what, like, it was a godsend for the Cardinals compared to the starts that they were getting in the month of June by anyone not named Adam Wainwright. So I don't know that it would be too cool to reward LeBlanc like that to say, yeah, great job, you're going back to the bullpen. Because, one, from a personal standpoint, it's kind of crummy. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is winning games. And that brings me to number two. I don't think it would necessarily be better for the Cardinals' ability to win games to move him back to the bullpen and and keep one of the other guys, Lester or Hap. It depends. Hap could be like the LeBlanc 2.0. Lester theoretically could be. He just was bad in his first couple of innings of his first outing. So we don't really know. But LeBlanc, five innings, one run, two run, like that's what he's been, even if it's four and change. Okay, it's usually like one run, so I don't know how he does it, but he's done it, and he keeps you in games. That's really all that matters from, I mean, you're. listen, you don't have the luxuries that you had at the beginning of the season when the Cardinals were talking about, well, so-and-so, we're not really viewing him as a starter because of the fact that we don't think he can get deep enough into games, we can't build him up, et cetera, et cetera. Who cares? Like, you've totally lost that luxury. Which brings me to kind of a caveat I want to talk about. I heard John Mosellock interviewed by Frank Cusmano on the press box, 590 The Fan. Used to be the uh, board operator for that show, by the way. Love you, Frank. But was some interesting stuff that John Mosellock brought up that Frank asked him about. In one of the questions, the topics pertain to Alex Reyes, like the headline that came out of this interview was, the Cardinals considering Jordan Hicks for a starting role in 2022. Um, you might have seen my uh, GIF reaction to that on Twitter. If not, scroll back through my media posts at Schaefer 12 because I was like, it was the, I don't know if that's Russ Westbrook. I don't know who that was. Um, NBA player, though, that I, uh, it's kind of making that face like, uh, yeah, that's an idea. That Yeah, I think it's Westbrook. Like, that's something you could try. When John Mozeliak suggested they might consider Hicks, and they've internally discussed Hicks as a starter moving forward, kind of from a health standpoint was the thought process. Like, if it's easier on him 
to have that more consistent schedule and not need to be ready to pitch every day, you know, twice in a row, etc. Maybe that'll be better for his future. Don't know. I mean, he, you remember maybe, maybe you don't because I, I don't even know if it was called B-Shape Daily back then when I was doing podcasts. But I talked about, I remember vividly Hicks having that five-inning performance at the last game of spring training before the season that they called him up to begin the year. And I was like, this guy could be a starter. Like, imagine having a guy throwing 100 in your rotation. That'd be awesome. And he looked, like, pretty good. And then they totally canned it because he threw 100 and they wanted him up as soon as he could be. And so forget refining him. We're just going to put him in the bullpen, and that'll be that, regardless of what he could have developed into from a starter's perspective. They didn't really care about that, which when you have a guy that throws 105, I I have to kind of throw my hands up and say, yep, all right. You win this round. Like, I've always been the guy that says, give them a chance to start until they prove they can't do it. But when you can do 105, that's a little bit unique. Okay, put them in the bullpen. Like, I I lose this round. I concede. However, I would be excited about the idea if I thought his body could handle the workload. But, like, it really doesn't make sense when you juxtapose that commentary and that line of thought with what he said about Alex Reyes, which is that and I don't remember the exact phrase, but it was kind of walking back the idea that he would be surefire ready to start in 2022, which is exactly where they were in February. Like that was what they said. It was a statement of fact that he was going to be prepared to start in 22. And guess what happened? He began the closer, just like I pretty much told you would in spring training and said, Hey, watch out because what's going to happen is once you get, you get him in that role, they're not going to want to take him out of it. And he's not going to get a hundred innings. And then they're going to say, well, what do we, you know, what could we do? We couldn't get him 100 innings, so he couldn't start next year. It's literally playing out that way. Moselec said, well, it's a little difficult when you only project him for about 75 to 80 innings this year to imagine how he's going to handle that workload as a starter next year. Yeah, that's exactly why we. And so, like sometimes when you when you call one right, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive back into the wayback machine and say, hey, remember remember when remember when we talked about this and said this is what was going to happen. Like, if the Cardinals ultimately decide that Alex Reyes is just a really good closer and they like him there, you know, I'll, whatever. I can live with that because maybe his body was not going to stand up to the workload of a starter, whereas he can he can hack it as a reliever and it keeps him healthy. A healthy Alex Reyes is an Alex Reyes that I want to see, so if that's what their medical staff believes is best, I'm not going to argue with that. Even though we saw the potential in 2016 of what he could do as a starter, and like that image in our brain is just kind of burned in there and it's hard to let go of. If ultimately it's determined that from a health perspective, that's what's best, or they just believe that, Hey, he's doing well in the role. This is a guy for whom we're just not going to try to jostle him around too much. We're going to leave him there. I won't love it, but I could live with it, especially if the Cardinals go out and make some meaningful additions to their starting pitching depth in the off season because you may not have Wainwright. Even if you do, bring him back. You may not have Kim. We don't know. Can you rely on Michaelis anymore? Hopefully you can. He's bulking up right now and getting ready to build back toward the rotation. Hopefully he's able to be the guy that he was in the past, which was a pretty reliable starter that goes six, seven innings and keeps you in games. A quality start machine. The Cardinals could use one of those right now. But for Reyes, man, it just feels like this was telegraphed. Back to February, it said, hey, this is if he ends up in that, that closer role, they're not going to want to move him. And then I don't see how you get to 
have him as the starter in 22, which I think could be his most valuable role. So that's a little frustrating, but, you know, it kind of is what it is. But we'll see in the offseason. And, I mean, over the course of the rest of this season, I don't expect anything to change with Alex Reyes' role. For all the talk about, you know, the idea that every spring it's like, oh, they could be creative. In 2020, it was they can deploy their bullpen more creatively because it's a shortened season. And then this spring it was like, wow, they're going to have Alex Reyes be a 100-inning reliever. That's going to be cool because they'll have to do it creatively. Otherwise, you you can't do it meaningfully because you're not going to just throw in three innings and blowouts and have him get his innings that way. That, that wouldn't help you if he's one of your better relievers. Well, lo and behold, they don't. I think it's fair to say at this point they don't possess the creativity to do it. To have a guy be a 100-inning reliever design it the way like they they said he was going to be that guy I don't know that there was ever like a plan in place with the coaching staff that might have just been you know John Moselak said here's what we want to strive for and then they're like yeah but we're gonna make him the closer because he's pretty good back there which is totally fair like that's valid but you you see the disconnect where it's like why would they say we're doing the 100 anything and then this week be like, well, he's only going to get to 75 innings, so I don't know if he can make him a starter next year. Like, you had you had a whole summer to plan for this and make sure that did not happen. But here we are nevertheless. So I really am having that kind of night, like just kind of venting some of the personal frustrations of like, here's what, here's what could have happened. Here's what they told us was going to happen. Here's where they kind of are. I don't know. Like, is, is there room for the Cardinals to improve? Yes. I, I talk about it every episode that there is still time that there is still room on this schedule, room on this calendar for the Cardinals to make their move and to get back into this thing. I'm still saying it tonight, even 11 games back of the Brewers and however far back they are in the wild card, it's not quite that bad, but probably eight, nine games after losing again. I'm not off them for good, but I'm I'm to the point where I'm like, how long can we do just the sunshine and rainbows? We have to, we have to talk about where they are. And I try to do a good job of that throughout the season. But it is a lot easier to see the positive potential when you've got 100 games left or 80 games left. The Cardinals now have, where are they? They've played 107, so they've got 55 games left. Like, that's still a pretty nice chunk, but it's increasingly becoming not enough of a chunk, especially if they're not poised to make a move. And right now... I know we talked about 15 and 11 since July 27th, and that was coming into the the, the uh, Atlanta Braves series, I believe. So now it's 15 and 13. So like that's still above 500 baseball technically for the last month or so, but that's not gonna cut it. Like that's not good enough for a team that's trailing in the standings. You have to make your move at some point, and so we do. You know, and and there's a there's a kind of feeling of, and I know the fans don't like it. Because Mike Schilt will come out and he will always support his guys. And when they don't have a good game, it's chalked up to something that maybe you don't believe it when you hear it. And you say, nah, it's more than that. There's more than that. Well, you know, probably sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. But as the manager, it's his job to kind of keep things at even keel. And so that's what he does. Fans don't love to hear it, but that's the man's job. I understand it. But on the other side of that, you've had times where he's, you know, gotten impassioned and feisty in a post game and that's good and you'd like to see that when when you think the uh the emotions are raw and real and it, and it reflects where the cardinals are at that point in time but you know some of that 
happens as a result of not being happy about a question or whatever the case might be. And there was none of that tonight, so I'm, I'm maybe picking a weird time to, to talk about it. But just the idea that, you know, media members are going to have their viewpoints and they're going to ask questions. They're going to try to dig into what's going on with the team. When the team is losing, more of the digging that has to happen is with a negative light. And right now the Cardinals are below 500. They've lost more games than they've won, and they've played more than 100 games. So at some point there's a baseline that has been established that unless you change it, it's up to them to change it. It's not up to us to change it for them to shift the narrative and, and make it seem better than it is. We just have to evaluate it for what it is right now. And right now for the Cardinals, it's not great. Even though they've had a run of some better success more recently, you can't then follow that up with a losing streak because you're going to be right back to where you started, which is in the darn middle, right around 500, give or take a game. And that's not going to get you anywhere. That's not what Nolan Arenado envisioned when he asked to come here. That's not what Yadier Molina envisioned when he came back, when Wainwright came back. That's not what anybody on this roster envisioned, but it's where they are. And I don't know how they fix it other than just finding the elements of this team that have been there at times. I'm not denying that. They have had times throughout the year where they have put it together and you said, this is winning baseball. This is a blueprint. It's a formula that works. And they they get timely hitting. They, they hit a homer here and there. They're scoring five to six runs in a game. They get a quality start. In Wainwright's case, that's usually like seven innings. And sometimes from KK, it was five innings, but didn't give up any runs. It's been the the, the, the Wade LeBlanc story. Five and two-thirds, one run. And I was going to talk about him and say, in the conversation of what do you do? What do you do with the, the, the rotation when you get your guys back? I could see it that if LeBlanc has like one bad outing, that could be the justification they need to say, okay, he's back to the bullpen. We can keep Lester or Hap around a little bit longer because we can justify it a little easier to LeBlanc, which I don't think is fair, but that would be my read. I just don't know of the uh, bullpen experience for any of those other guys. Like Both Happ and Lester have pretty much been starters, where LeBlanc has been more of a, a swing man in the past, so you could see it potentially being justified. It may just take one bad start to say, ah, well, you know, here we go. That could be the way they go with that. But back to the conversation of how the Cardinals turned around, they they draw upon those elements that have been there at times, rarely all of them clicking at the same time. The offense, the starting pitching, and the bullpen's been the one thing that a lot of times you just know if the Cardinals are up, I don't know, 3-1 to one after seven innings or after six innings even, that they're probably going to win that game 3-1. to one. Like, there have been a lot of games like that this year, so you have the confidence that when it's at its peak, the back end of your bullpen is lights out. Cabrera, Gallegos, Reyes, they've done that this year. But they're human as well, and so when they have their off nights and you don't have everything else clicking to overcome that, it can get really difficult. And the Cardinals have just got to find a way to do all that. And, yeah, there's time left, and, you know, there's an opportunity here, and they recognize that, but... Even as Nolan Arenado said tonight, he, he was the uh, the the lone position player on the Zoom this evening. Said, you know, we we've got to start winning games. We 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 got to not get swept tomorrow. We've got an opportunity to to win a game. We got to start doing it because if not, we're going to fall out of this thing. And they're sensing that that's 
you know, a possibility. Did he say it's weighing on us every day? That's not the way they're approaching it. Said that's not how they view it with the, the pressure coming into every new day. But, like, I would imagine at the end of each day when you don't get the win, it's like, man, how much longer can we go on thinking that we're in this thing if we keep playing like this? Too many times they've played like this, and it and it doesn't end up going in their favor. So they're aware of it. They've been aware of it. I don't think it's a secret what has to change to fix it, but it's kind of where the Cardinals are right now, and so it's going to make for, I don't know, an interesting month of August because there there are winnable games out there to be had, but we, we began this by talking about the, the Braves as a winnable team, a, a beatable team, and now they're better than you in the standings. So who knows? Let's do some comments, and then we'll get out of here. Because I'm tired. It's like 3 a.m. Rhino says, we're pretty much sitting on a lost season. What things can be gained at this point to perhaps offer hope for next year and beyond? And why does everyone quit hitting when they play here? And it's a pitcher's park for one. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's a collective mentality about the team right now that's just not clicking on the right right, uh, wavelength. Because, you know, you have had numbers for guys to climb when they get here free agents that come in or trade acquisitions that come in. But I think part of that too is A, the ballpark, and B, you got to look at the, the point of these guys' career. Like we could talk about Goldschmidt as a guy who's got a, a kind of declining. He's having a declining type of year, even even though he's still a, a productive player. Well, he's, you know, into his 30s. Arenado, he's not quite that old yet, but, you know, he's, he's, he's in his prime. You're sure as hell hoping he's in his prime after what you paid for him to get him. And by which I mean you're committed to that contract now, right? Like, if it's bad in the latter half of Arenado, like you're still paying him like $35 million a year or whatever it is, it, it will get kind of crazy down the line. There's no doubt about that. But yeah, I mean, you, you look at the types of players the Cardinals try to acquire. They acquire older players generally, not guys that are on the come or on the cusp of their, their prime when they're making trades. And a lot of the reason for that is because you get guys that are either on new contracts that their their current team doesn't want anymore. In the case of Goldie and Arenado, that's kind of the way it played out. Not with not with Goldie because he didn't have a long term contract, but but they basically knew he was up on an expiring deal and they wanted to get something for him, and they did because they they weren't planning to to pay him after that. So that's typically when guys are getting traded, and the Cardinals typically tend to go for the more established veterans and they lurk and they wait around they know which guys they want and then sometimes they wait two years too long and they don't get quite the uh the bang for their buck at that point but still good players it's just yeah I, I can't articulate exactly what the deal is with the offense because you know Marcelo Zuna another example although you could say that he overachieved in his one year before coming to St. Louis and they bought him high and then he reverted back to what he was when he came so a few examples. It's an interesting question, but I don't think I have anything super insightful other than what I've already added on the topic. Joe asks, outside of the offense, this team doesn't have the pitching depth. I guess this is more of a comment. They can't seem to get past five or six innings. It's a recipe for the bullpen to get overworked. They need to add pitchers who can eat up innings in the offseason. Oh, and a shortstop would be helpful too. Yeah, they've got to add a middle infielder. I'm not going to say it has to be a shortstop. You've got to add a middle infielder, and really what's out there is shortstops. Go get Corey Seager and be done with it. Like, I don't know what that means for Paul DeYoung. I don't know what that means for Tommy Edmond. It doesn't really matter. Have one of them be your second baseman, I guess, and consider that Nolan Gorman could potentially enter into that role as well. But 
you can't hold spots, everyday lineup spots, for guys like DeYoung and Edmond if they're going to OPS 680. It's just not enough. They can, that, like, those are the guys that can be starting, you know, 60 games a year, 75 games a year. They're great to have around when injuries happen because they're starter caliber players who you don't need to start when you're at full strength. That was the whole deal that I think the Cardinals could have taken advantage of in the offseason. You just put Colton Wong there at second base where he belongs. You don't worry about where Tommy Edmonds is going to play. He'll get his playing time. It happens every year. Injuries happen. I think it goes back to that mindset that Moselak has espoused before about certain moves potentially being complicated or complicating the process for where every every piece fits in. I think there's too much of an emphasis on that mindset and not enough of an emphasis on, hey, let's maximize just good players. Let's let's look at platoon opportunities. Let's have a bench that isn't filled with five guys. You're like, yep, those are bench players. Like, that is that is all they are, bench players. Have guys that you're like, yeah, he could start on some teams. Because guess what? When you have those players, that's how you have a good team. Because your bench is going to have to start for you eventually. On this team, that doesn't happen. When they're at full strength, they're just kind of the lineup that they are. And you don't you don't have anybody like Jose Rondon has been here for how long? Like most of the season, has he started a game? Like maybe one time? I don't know if he has. I'm not even gonna look it up. I don't care enough. But the point stands. Like he's around, but he's got that little use for you that you haven't even bothered to really put him in a lineup very often. I know he. I think he started a couple of games in right field. Now that I think about it, but it's been a while. And now he's like pinch hitter occasionally, pinch runner. But it's like, that's kind of the skill set. If you had Tommy Edmond on your bench and Colton Wong starting at second base, don't you think you'd find a way to get Tommy Edmond into damn near every game in like in an important moment because he's a, a valuable player that can do some things for you and then he can come in defensively? You know, it, he wouldn't really need to do that for, for uh, Colton Wong at second base, best defensive second baseman out there. But there are ways you can address roster construction that I feel like the Cardinals have just blatantly ignored this year. And I don't know why that is. I think maybe, you know, part of that could be, okay, they thought Lane Thomas could be a fourth outfielder just like I kind of did at the beginning of the year. So if they had him performing as such, that would be another spot on your bench that, that could be good. If you had Matt Carpenter performing with a bounce back like they thought they were going to get, which, again, I don't know, you know, how how reasonably should they have expected that to happen? Maybe not super reasonably, but they were doing it because they were paying him and he was going to be here anyway, and so so be it. But, like, when that doesn't happen, that's another another notch, another hit that you take to your bench. And so you just look at where they are. The depth of this team, not only in the rotation, which, again, a lot of that's not their fault. I, I did not come into this year thinking the Cardinals were hurting for starting pitching. I did tell you, be prepared for losing multiple guys because it's going to happen, and it did. But I didn't maybe know that it would be quite as bad as it was, like Daniel Ponce de Leon not really factoring in because he pitched poorly and then got hurt. Carlos getting hurt, pitching poorly, getting hurt. Like I said, don't count on Carlos. I told you, don't do it. But, you know, understand that he makes it through spring training and he looked okay in the rotation at, at points, and so you live with that. But long term, he got hurt as well. Michaelis got hurt. Flaherty got hurt. 
So, like, I think there was a an unusual, uh, extraordinary number of guys in the rotation in the starting pitching depth that got hurt or just didn't perform. Oviedo, he just hasn't he just hasn't been good enough. Thought he would take a step forward, he didn't. Woodford, you know, maybe he was part of that depth as well. Didn't really take that step forward either. And so, here you are needing starting pitching the way they have in recent weeks and months. But that's not a huge indictment for me on on the front office or anything because I thought they'd be okay in in that regard as well. Now, where you can start to indict them, and I've talked about this, is end of May when they didn't bother to do anything. I mean, the Dodgers have signed Cole Hamels. Like, that has happened now. You don't think that the Cardinals could have, you know, tried to make a push at Cole Hamels, and it's possible he wasn't quite ready yet because I know he only recently signed and had another uh, showcase recently. But my point is, there have been some free agent starters that have signed, and the Cardinals' argument has always been like, well, you know, nobody's traded for any starters or nobody's signed any starters across the league, so it's not really a market that we can explore. You can be the team that does it because you're the team that needs it. And that was where they messed up. That was the end of May, and they went the whole month of June, and they were awful because they had no pitching except for Wainwright. Literally no other starter won a game that month, if I'm not mistaken. If I am, again, I'm just plowing through it at minute 45. <laughs> so it is what it is. But, like, that's where they could have made an, an addition. And if they were worried about the market, there's no market right now for starting pitching, whatever, set the market. You're the team that needs it. Go get it. And they didn't do it. And so at the deadline, like, those are the kinds of moves they should have made in May. Jay, half John Lester, those exact moves should have been made in May. Now, in May, the Nationals weren't out of it. They weren't selling yet. And the Twins, maybe not either. And and Jay Happ maybe wouldn't have been the guy you would have gone for. But it's just to articulate, like, the the styles of moves they could have made and explored, and they didn't think they needed to, and they got burned on that. So they're, they're kind of paying for the, they're paying the consequences of that at this point. But, uh, yeah. I think I spent like 15 minutes just answering that question or kind of going off on a tangent about that question. But yeah, shortstop, I, 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 you got to love Paul DeYoung, but the offensive production hasn't quite been there and there's an offseason market to do it and you've got tons of money coming off the books. I know you've got a lot of money still on there because Nolan's going to get paid. You know, you got to pay him. But I would absolutely, if I'm the Cardinals, I would not leave this free agency period this winter without a premier shortstop, whether it's uh, Corey Seager, who would be my top pick, but you could go Carlos Correa. You could go Trevor Story. You could go any, you know, any number of these directions. I don't believe Trey Turner is quite in this class. I think he's got one more year, if I'm not mistaken. So go find somebody. That's all I got to say. Lou boys asked about the 2022 lineup. Everybody's already shifting their focus ahead. I'll read what he's got and see what I think of it. Carlson and Wright, Goldie at first, Arenado, Story, the shortstop, so that would be his pick. Seager would be mine. I'm going to stick to that for now unless I see something that changes my mind. But Seager would be the guy I would go for. Uh, I think he's really impactful offensively, and that's what they need. O'Neal in left, Bader in center, Gorman batting seventh as your second baseman with Kisner as the catcher. Yeah, you know what? It, and it's hard to to predict whether Yachty will will remain, want to play another year. Same with Wayno. I think it's honestly going to have to do with maybe you get to the end of the season. Could you envision Cardinals go seventy nine and eighty three, 
that Yachty's like, okay, I am getting too old for this. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to come back for another another year of what he's enduring right now, which is mediocre 500 baseball. I don't think, I think in that case, I could more easily see him retiring. If the Cardinals make a run, I could, I could see him coming back. But uh, well, I, I truly no idea. It's hard to tell. Uh, looking to see if we have any other questions. Allison asks me, how do you, how, how do we encourage younger fans? to stay interested after a season like this? That's an interesting question. I think it's beholden to the Cardinals organization and their front office and their marketing team to be able to hold the interest of their fans by putting a good product on the field. And so the way you do that, whether it's a young fan, an old fan, an in-between fan, you go and you recognize that you have to take a step back. You have to admit where you've, where you faulted, especially if this year doesn't end up going the way that they want it to, and they're not able to turn things around. You have to be able to be honest with the fans and say, yep, we bungled it, and we did this wrong, and we could have done that wrong, and we should have been more prepared for whatever. Like, own own it. Take a little ownership of it. Don't chalk it up to injuries. Don't chalk it up to – because you're allowed to make additions during the season when injuries happen. You're allowed to do that. That's part of the rules of management of a baseball organization. You don't just have to – it's not – it's not like a best ball fantasy draft where you start with the team you have and you can't make any additions. You can, as the season goes along, react to the needs that are, are identified within your team. And I don't think the Cardinals did a good enough job of doing that this year. And I think at the end of the year, I'd like to see them own that if, in fact, they're not able to turn things around. Because people say, oh, I want so-and-so fired or this or that. You're crazy. It's not going to happen. John Mozeliak will decide when he's done being the president of baseball operations of the Cardinals. He will choose. I maintain that he will choose. Nobody is ever going to choose for him. That is just the way it is. Mike Schilt, I, he's not going anywhere either, folks. Would stun me. Would just stun me if he was going anywhere in 2021. Maybe you get an overhaul, pitching coach, hitting coach. I think they're both gone after the year if they don't fix it. That's certainly possible. Um, but, you know. It's just going to depend on on the way they they want to they want to approach that. Those moves I could see happening. You could definitely talk about coaching moves. Manager don't see it. President of baseball operations no way. I'll, there is absolutely no chance. The only the only thing that could happen is Mozeliak deciding he wants to do something different. But that would not be him getting fired. That would be him choosing his exit, which I'm not saying that's imminent, but. He has been here a long time, but I'm not saying that's imminent. I'm just saying if and when it comes around, it'll be his own choice. So the fire mode people, great, clever Twitter handles. It's not a thing and it won't be a thing, but all right, I'm losing my voice. I'm going to feel this tomorrow for all the talking I've done tonight. I've ranted enough. And again, for me, from a personal standpoint, I've talked about this before. If you're new to the, the podcast, maybe you haven't heard my perspective on it, but I grew up a Cardinals fan. I'm not. That's not my role anymore, and I'm very comfortable with that. I'm comfortable being able to analyze what I think about this team, a team that I know a lot of people in this area care a lot about, and so I I take it seriously from that perspective. But it doesn't personally offend me when the Cardinals lose a game. It does not impact my day. I approach it as a writer, as a member of the media, and I I truly – Though I once was a you know diehard Cardinals fan, I have a different role now, and I appreciate that role for what it is. But 
when I when I talk about these things and I go on the rants, I'm trying to channel a little bit of what I feel like I know is out there for fans as well. I'm trying to channel that perspective, but to clarify, it doesn't bother me. I you know I don't I don't wish misfortune upon the Cardinals. I'd like for them to do well. It's better for business when they do well. But man, when stuff like what happens in right center field tonight between Bader and uh, Dylan Carlson happens, I can't help but laugh sometimes. Like I, I, I'm telling you what, in twenty like 2013, my instinct would have been to scream and yell about something like that. Tonight, I just laughed because I couldn't believe something like that happened. And that's just kind of been the Cardinals' season. It's unfortunate, but that's you know stuff like that happens and. Like I said, they weren't they didn't score again anyway, so it didn't cost them the game, but just an example of the way things are going for the Cardinals in 2021. All right, I got to wrap things up here. I've got literally no voice left. I am pausing the recording to cough because I am trying to drink water and keep my mouth from drying out, but I am like I am going through one right now. So, I appreciate you guys as always for listening to Be Shaped Daily. Make sure to subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Y'all know the drill. We'd love to get you on board on a permanent basis. Checking out B-Shaped Daily. It's a Cardinals show, obviously, and we're going to continue talking Cardinals baseball throughout the rest of this year. And in this offseason, hopefully more so than last offseason when the episodes were kind of sporadic, I hope to be able to continue bringing you guys content on a regular basis kind of set up a format where we know we go three times a week or whatever it might end up being during certain portions of the offseason. I'm sure we'll go even more often than that. But I want to keep you guys on board. I want to keep you entertained. That's why I'm here. You know, I want to be able to bounce ideas and have you all bounce your ideas off me. I, I truly do appreciate all you guys who listen um, because otherwise I'd be talking to myself for 30 minutes to an hour every night, and that would be kind of embarrassing. So thank you all for being on board. I do mention about it being a Cardinal show, though, because in the offseason, I am definitely looking to, and this may apply to some of you, and some of you may be like, I don't care about that. And for those who don't care, totally fine. Doesn't offend me in the the least bit. But I am looking to kind of set up, and this is kind of an undertaking that I'm looking to, to take on, a fantasy football community. As you've seen on Twitter, I talk a lot of fantasy football in addition to Cardinals, and I believe that's an area where I have uh, some something to give, something to offer as far as content creation. And so uh, I'm considering uh, trying to do something a little bit interesting here with maybe a Discord server, and I've got some plans I'm trying to put into action for that. Right now, just setting up a little group message on Twitter for people that are interested in fantasy football, mock drafts, joining leagues with me, things like that. And so putting that out there at the end of the episode tonight, if that's something that you're interested in, in addition to the baseball talk, shoot shoot me a DM on Twitter at bshafer12. Let me know, like, yeah, I'd like to hear fantasy football podcasts, or I'd like to join your your Discord if you if you end up doing that. Whatever, just kind of putting out feelers right now to see what people think. But uh, if you're just here for the Cardinals, don't worry, that's not going anywhere uh, unless the team loses so many games that they get relegated to AAA. No, that's not going to happen. I'm kidding. Appreciate you guys as always. We'll be back tomorrow talking more Cardinals baseball on B-Shafe Daily. Peace.